Hello, iGaming Intelligentsia. Before we start today's podcast, here is a message from our sponsors. The iGaming Next podcast is made possible with the support from our sponsors at Pragmatic Solutions, leaders in intelligent platform technology. I've been working with Ashley, Lewis and the guys over at Pragmatic Solutions over the last year. And as the early supporter of this podcast, I cannot recommend them enough. The Pragmatic Solutions Player Account Management Platform is an incredibly powerful technology stack for today's gaming business. Their modern modular platform provides all the core services to power your business and their SaaS licensing model allows you to reduce cost and accelerate your strategic goals. Enterprise technology with decades of operational know-how at scale built in. Upgrade your business to the Pragmatic Solutions PAM platform. Visit www.pragmatic.solutions to arrange a platform demo. Future trends, deep insights, industry leaders. This is the iGaming Next podcast with your host, Pierre Lindt. Good morning, Yudilan. Good morning, good morning, good morning. How are you doing? I'm good, Pierre. Good morning to you as well. It was a bit of a... With a bit of a low-toned uh, voice uh, today, Julian. I mean, uh, we, are, we are looking at the share prices here of, of Kinder, the Kambi and uh, Betson that we're talking about today, and it's not exactly sunshine and roses, no? It's a shame, right? It's a tale of, it's a tale of two, two sentiments, right? On, on the one hand, right, full disclosure, I'm, I'm long on, on most of these, uh, these stocks, right? They've had some really good reports over the last few days, right? This is normally is a great week. You get to see Nordic stock performance uh, on record. Most of these stocks, particularly Kindred and and uh, and Betson, uh, and more recently now Camby, have actually done well, right? But at the same time, we're actually seeing that the the, stock, the share price is down across the board, right? So then there's a few theories about this. So yeah, it's a, it's a bittersweet experience yeah. at the moment because you'd want these stocks to go up. Yeah, that, that's for sure. And, and, and also, I think it's, it's good with the full disclosure. Um, I, um, today, we are talking about Kindred in particular, but also uh, Betson and Cambi. And, and me personally, I, I also have a um uh, i also have, have holding in kindred so uh it's important for the, the viewers to to notice that i don't have any holding in betson or uh can be um so so let's start off uh, here julian on uh, on kindred the quarterly reports came out just a couple of hours ago uh they are showing impressive growth uh in in many areas of their or their business but i'd love to hear your analysis of the quarterly report here so feel free to take well, i think i think First off, Kindred has actually had a very, uh, a very exciting journey, right? Especially over the last quarter, there's been the relax uh, acquisition or well, the, the full, the full buyback. But especially the, the, the numbers are up across the board, right? Sports Denova has actually doubled. Um, there's a very, very strong, uh, strong margin on that. Gaming revenues in total are up almost twenty percent, right? Uh, especially casino, casino is up eighteen percent. Um, and importantly, uh, I think I think Kindred's on a on a spending spree, right? If you look at their marketing spend, marketing spend is up by a third, right? Uh, that actually means you get more actives, and importantly, you get more more retained customers, right? So, so the numbers actually really good. I think I think Kindred's on a very aggressive uh, transformation right now, which I would, if I were in their position, because they have an opportunity a to actually be really placed well in the US. 
but I think especially also take advantage of, of the relaxed acquisition and effectively pivot to ensure that they can get new markets. Um, and uh, I think Nordic, Nordic section, the Nordic revenues, where everybody was very skeptical about, they're actually up, they're actually up, up more than 25%, right? So mm. I think it's actually a, a very, very good, uh, very, very good so track record, at least from a, from a shareholder's perspective. You'd look at this report and you'd go, wow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, they mentioned here as well that uh, the... Uh, uh, that twelve uh, percent of the sports betting turnover is uh, from the euros alone, right? And then you can also uh, read between the lines here and say that the, uh, the the many of the results in the euros were quite favorable for the sports books. There were a lot of draws, and traditionally yeah. a, a draw not many people bet on draws. They like to Correct. bet on winners, uh, and and therefore uh, therefore the, the the those type of results always gain the the operator. So even though twelve percent of the total sports betting turnover were from the euros, you would imagine that the revenues were even higher than that from the euros, which is obviously a kind of a one-off uh, event yes. that is not really signaling that type of growth for the for the next quarters. But why do, why do you think you know considering that Kinder is trading at such a low PE number, like below ten uh, yeah. even uh, in in comparison to uh, you know, I mean, we take the edge case now, evolution, which is obviously was obviously traded at like something like eighty at some point. Uh, their P number, uh, although evolution is P number is coming down as well now. But um, why why do you think that the markets are are reacting negatively uh, today upon the release of this quarterly report, even though uh, Kindred is seemingly uh, reporting fairly strong numbers on uh, on the back of the acquisition of Relax Gaming, which si is signaling that they are putting themselves into a very strong position uh, to, to continue to grow? Well, I think, I think there's a few dynamics at play, and I think it's important we, we, we break them down a bit. The, there's obviously the, the recent Euro results, and as you said, um, the, it's actually been well across the board for most operators, right? Particularly because when uh, there was a number of few surprises leading up to, to the finals, right? But especially the draws, the draws at full time are normally always good for operators because uh, the X outcome is uh, is the one less favored, so to speak, by uh, by the punters. But I think if you look at, at Kindred in particular, right? And the PE ratio where it is now compared with other stocks, kind, Kindred's going through a transformation right now. Uh, the acquisition of Relax, uh, the aggressive pivot into, into the US. And I think it's got uh, most uh, long-term shareholders looking at where the prospects of, of Kindred will be in the medium term. How successful will it be to actually use Relax to be able to move forward? Where is the ultimate uh, territory, the sweet spot, right? Every every single uh, every single operator or, or stock in this in this market normally has a sweet spot. It can't be well across the board. There has to be a sweet spot where there's a significant amount of influx coming in, and I think there is a good amount of uh, of speculation on this. If you look at, at the chats, if you look at at, at all the, the the discussions happening behind the scenes, there's a a lot of uh, a lot of active uh, discussions on the internet about where where kindred is going to go and i think i think that in part influences the share price but i think i think if you then take a, a, a longer view right there's a, there's a, a probably a more perceived view that the whole pe ratios need to do, need to come down in general because this, the the stocks uh, particularly in gaming in Nordic, are or have a have a tendency to be overhyped, and this may also play into fact that, as as we all know, there is pressure on uh, on on Swedish funds to have a more 
let's say, uh, a responsible pivot towards ESG, right? Environmental, social, and governance. And I think, I think because of that, right? And when you take a, a week like this, which in any other year would be transformative, right? You see numbers across the board being green as opposed to red. You would normally expect uh, stocks to go up. But actually, uh, there is possibly a good a good uh, conversation to be had that maybe this is an opportunity for all these funds that actually want to be seen as more ESG uh, oriented to be able to possibly offload or start gradually offloading um, the stocks. I mean, that is definitely one explanation why, for instance, Kindred right now is down 6%, uh, two hours uh, from the quarterly reports, um, and Canby is actually down almost 10%. It may, despite very good results, it also may be that because of this uh, sell, quit whilst you're ahead, sell, sell whilst you're high, keep your, your, your pension funds happy and your returns even happier. This might actually be one of those narratives. And we've seen this in other verticals as well, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And how about um, if we look at the US revenue uh, uh, here for a bit, uh, Kindred, don't doesn't really go much into detail on the on the on the US uh, side yeah. of their business but what they do disclose is that the um the gross gross uh, winning um uh, revenue from the US uh, amounts to 5.8 million uh pounds which is uh, obviously a quite small part of the total yes. uh revenue uh, in the group uh, which uh, which is an 8% increase year on year um and they are, they are now active in four states in in the US. Um, what they what they don't really talk about is uh, how much it costs to acquire this revenue. And uh, no notoriously, the US is a very expensive market to acquire uh, customers uh, in. And it, and considering that the US market has grown exponentially over the year, and uh, Kindred has only grown eight percent uh, year on year, do you think that Investors are seeing that as a disappointment, perhaps. Is, uh, is that the reason that the investors are doubting this push into the US? I have a slightly, slightly different take on this, which is more of a developing story. So if, if you look at their actual marketing spend, they've actually announced the overall, the overall spend to be about 20% of revenues, right? Which actually is slightly higher than what you would normally expect for a company of this size. So that normally means that a company is actually on a very aggressive acquisition streak, which actually is good. So you want that when, when you have an uh, aggressive uh, marketing spend, you don't necessarily book those revenues in the quarter but you'd book them in subsequent quarters so whilst whilst uh, the u.s revenues are actually down i think they're about three percent down year on year um but and then again there's a there's a currency fluctuation because they're reporting it in pounds but at the same time it's actually in dollars so there's a there's a currency fluctuation yes. there which was very different last year as well there's, Sadly, these these reports, there's always a whole layer of, of unpicking that you need to do uh, once they actually get released. But I generally think that a good portion of this, uh, this 20% right, of, of revenues, i.e. which are marketing spend, is actually being spent on the US. And like many operators who are actually trying to find foothold in the US, there's a certain amount of A-B testing, there's a certain amount of campaign trying, there's ergo a certain amount of spend before you find that sweet spot that effectively then can be replicatable and scalable. So again, from, from somebody who can see where Kindred wants to go, actually this for me is encouraging. It actually means that they are spending now 
particularly with the Relax acquisition, but also with uh, this, this US drive, at least hinting from the numbers here, that it seems like they are actually trying to mine for for some good repeatable revenues and it makes sense. Mm. Right. So so uh, if we take uh, DraftKings as an example, the, one of the larger operators in the US, I think they have publicly stated, I, I might be, I don't take my word for this now, but I, I think that they are looking to, they are looking to reach profitability around two, around 2023 or 24, uh, somewhere along those lines. And so again, that, be, yeah. that begs the question and, and, and obviously DraftKings are pumping an enormous amount of marketing uh, into, yeah. uh, in, into the US and so are BetMGM, of course, uh, FanDuel's, the other. And it seems it seems to be very difficult to get a foothold in the U.S. without this large marketing spend. And I guess Kindred has a bit of a difficult choice here because they are not the the strongest uh, financially uh, strongest uh, uh, operator in the world. Of course, they they strong as the uh, of the top tier ones operating in in the U.S. At the same time you know going in with this uh, massive amount of marketing spend in the US is going to uh, of course affect the uh, EBITDA uh, in in the reports uh, here in the next uh, couple of years before they reach potentially reach uh, profitability um what do you think uh, is the correct strategy here for Kindred uh, as a not tier 1 operator at the moment but still wanting to establish a foothold into several states uh, in America when they are up against these massive tier one operators? I, I think it's a very good question. And I think, again, it goes back to what I what I suspect is a transformative year for, for Kindred. This is the year where a lot of spend happens because there's a, there's a bigger push towards having uh, bigger returns in, in, in the next one to two years. And, and key to this is the marketing spend, the, the, the relaxed uh, acquisition. But also the finding the foothold, as as you correctly stated. I think I think there's a few players right now which are actually looking aggressively to make a foothold and inroad into specific niches, specific demographics, specific micro demographics, so to speak, in the US. And as I think most Nordic operators have now found when pivoting from Europe into the US, the US is a completely different buying strategy, right? This is, and it's uh, we haven't even scratched the surface about how it is to successfully get into the US. I think. DraftKings has had first mover advantage, so uh, it has effectively enjoys a bigger tranche, but it is still trying to find repeatable revenues to the point that it can become not only cash flow positive, but significantly um, mm. profit margin wise uh, profitable over the next two to three years. And I think and I think Kindred's doing this from a from a long term perspective as well. But the spending has to happen now. So if I were a long term, i.e. a value value-based investor, I wouldn't worry so much about the bottom line profit because I would acknowledge that there's a significant amount of spend this year that needs to happen. So as long as the top line numbers are increasing, right? And there's a there's a there's a pivot towards optimization revenue, which then leads to profit margin optimization. Then you know that over the next one years, right? There will actually be a, a much more much more efficient operational profit margin, which in a way is actually why the whole acquisition of Relax actually makes sense. On, on Relax, your your significant expense margins go down in the longer term, right? Because you have revenue and profit synergies. But then also you're using your marketing 
10 that you've done this year to be able to play over next year because your brand is there your your long your lifetime value players revenue wise are also there as well and you're effectively then on uh, on this retention journey if that, if that makes sense right 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 so so currently the um the 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 gross winnings revenue in the group is uh, about three to four percent uh, coming from the u.s market but what it seems like here with the acquisition of, of relax and uh kindred wanted to control their own supply chain they want to control their own content uh it seems to be a very long play let's say uh, we're not going to see massive revenues coming all of a sudden uh from from the u.s and and so on but uh do, do, do you see in the in the short term now i mean i i know our one of our investors in in Agumi next and, and uh, who is a kind of a true legend of the industry uh, robin reed he has talked a lot about this covid premium that the operators have enjoyed uh, where a large influx of players came into the online environment uh, due to covid and uh, last year obviously the operators kind of grew exponentially and um, robin talked a lot about this being due to this covid yes. premium but uh, that covid premium is uh, it has reached its peak so to say and uh, i think looking at the kindred ebita um it peaked in q4 of 2020 yes. it's uh, decreased in q q1 in increased again in q2 but not uh, at the level of q4 in 2020 so it seems that um, in the last three quarters the ebita has kind of uh, leveled out in, in in some sense in in kindred as a group do, do you see how do you see the uh, let's say the short term in the next year kindred continue to uh, to grow and improve their ebitda or do you see that it kind of has flattened out for the time being look it goes back to to my previous point i personally being being long for for a, a value perspective so for a window of of more than one to two quarters right would would actually be worried less about ebitda but more about about ggr right and then gr making sure that their top line numbers continue to increase and effectively def harmonize their acquisition spend because once once they've nailed that right and uh, again they've ingested the whole relaxed platform which 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 takes time both both technically but also from a revenue perspective right and, and also from a from a salesforce perspective that process takes time once once they've nailed that once they've optimized the acquisition spend then they get to a stage where they're actually quite in a good play from a level of uh, of acquisition if that makes sense yeah yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's again, it seems very much like Kindred are setting themselves up for the future uh, uh, here with the long-term play of of uh, acquiring Relax Gaming, which is really uh, adjusting themselves to the uh, to the new reality of the of the gaming industry, which is that operators wants to control uh, the supply chain again, uh, which is a kind of a move from uh, from previously where the operators have been more commoditized, let's say. Uh, using suppliers, whereas now again they are trying to kind of pull in um, uh, their services uh, into proprietary solutions uh, instead. Um, so, so Julian, so if you if you would give uh, uh, your uh, your like quick summary uh, here then of, of uh, Kinder, do you, you uh, does it justify the uh, the downswing um, that we've seen today? Uh, no. What do you think is going to? Uh, <laughs> what do you think is? How do you think this is going to play out? Now in the in the following quarter and quarters, uh, I, I I don't think that the, the the downswing is justified specifically on on Kindred, right? Mm -hmm. I think I think 
I think the ESG element may may contribute. I think there's also an element of good news fatigue. I think all all the the Nordic groups have performed really well over the last few uh, mm. few uh, days, and I think uh, despite that, there's uh, there's a downward pressure on the stock prices, which may allude to the fact that we we will be seeing a PE correction over the whole industry over the next few quarters, which is probably the case. But also the COVID bounce, let's call that the COVID bounce, is now no longer prevalent. So I think we are we are looking at more pragmatic investors who are effectively either wanting to see some really, really good inroads into the US. Right? This is all about the US. There's a big US play happening here. And ensuring that the next few quarters reflect the sentiment. Um, that said, and this is historical of uh, of most uh, most gaming equities, particularly Nordic ones. We will see price stabilization over the next two to three weeks. Once this whole influx, right? Right now we have a high volume of trading, and in high volume of trading, there's always going to be exchanges. By the way, at some point we're going to see stabilization, right? We'll probably see stabilization a few a few basis points above above the opening prices of today. That will be over a two to three week period. And then once all these announcements, such as relaxed acquisitions, such as uh, high US spend and whatnot, start to stabilize and start to take uh, direct contribution to the top line and the bottom line, we will then start to see the share price creep slowly upwards. The long-term view is PE, PE harmonization. There will be uh, almost like a, a specific banding, so to speak, right? For gambling uh, PE, PE ratios, right? That will need to be within the norm. And once once the Swedish funds do uh, decouple themselves to either for G basis or, or for a number of either different criteria, we will expect to see price normalization. But that typically takes uh, one, two, three quarters, possibly even more. Yeah, right. I, I actually I spoke to uh, one of the head of investment relations uh, that works for one of the listed companies uh, in gaming yesterday, and um, he talked a lot about how he is trying to actively strike up conversations with the Swedish uh, funds and the the, the banks uh, yeah. in Sweden to to try to um, uh, invest into into his uh, company, but uh, they all politely say no, it's just not possible. The the Swedish funds are not looking into the gaming industry for ESG reasons, um, as, as many investors know, um, the funds are actively divesting uh, from, from the agami industry. And uh, the speculation is uh, that uh, why we are seeing these downswings uh, in many of the game gambling stocks upon the release of the quarterly reports when the trading volumes are very high, is uh, that many of these funds are taking the opportunity to sell off uh, things uh, within the gaming industry. You know, th that also, begs the question a bit if we are seeing this we're speculating here but if we are using this as an excuse as why kinder is uh is seemingly dropping in the share price today at the same time if we're looking at an esd perspective um kinder is the leader let's say in taking a true esg uh, yeah. approach into uh, into the strategy of, of how they are operating right they are they have taken a very very ambitious um, stance and a, and a very admirable yes. stance. Let's say that they want to eliminate harmful gambling by 2023. Now, yes. it's one it's one thing to have that as a strategy, and it's another thing to e actually execute on that uh, strategy. Right? Um, they posted in the the first quarterly report when they announced the numbers uh, where how much uh, revenue came from harmful gambling. 
in Q4, they pu published that 4.3% of the revenue came from Harp yes. and Gambling. Then in yes. Q1, that dropped to 3.9%. However, in Q2, this has now again increased to 4.3%. And I think this is important to point out there that um, they are on the same level, let's say now in, in harmful uh, revenue as they were in Q4. And also important to point out there is that Kindle have been very public, very open uh, with their strategy here, saying that they cannot do this alone. They need help from uh, technological advancements into how to detect the, the harmful gambling, first of all. Uh, but also they need help from regulators and, and, uh, and the industry at large uh, in order to pursue these goals, we'll say. But uh, Kindle had absolutely taken a stance to uh, right. and committed themselves to, to, uh, to go on this road. I agree with that. And I, I think there's this actually quite a few important points to, un, to unpick from this. The first thing is that there's an industry, a gradual industry push from, from the actual operators themselves, as opposed to the regulators, to actually isolate and talk about uh, harmful gambling and importantly identify it actually as a, as, a, as a specific scientific portion of revenue. And I think Kendra's actually done a very, very good job, a very remarkable job, because the short-term effects of this are actually quite harmful when you actually get to call it out on, a, on an earnings yeah. call. But the long-term is actually good. Doing that, right, doing, doing that in a scientific way actually does two things. A, it actually puts uh, a, a flag, right, a mast in the industry to say, look, we're doing this. We do need help. Let's do this together, right? And that's a pressure not just on regulation, but also on tech. Tech needs to be able to call out what harmful gambling is, right? And harmful gambling is always the portions are always going to be higher in high in high sports uh, events such as the Euro, right? We're going to see that there's always going to be an influx of that. It's and good on Kindred for being able to to call this out, right? I think. But the second thing, and actually quite important, is it's also a gradual cultural shift right in terms of investments away from traditional funds right it's also a call subliminally if you look if you look at, at the narratives underneath the pr what what the not, not just kindred here a number of other nordic stocks are calling out for is the need to actually have more specifically focused funds on gambling Right. So there's a few in the US. Right. So Vanguard is a, is a classic example. Vanguard do a lot of uh, what are called discretionary focused funds, because if you like esports, for instance, or you like music or you like uh, gambling, you can invest in specific funds. Right. You put your money where your mouth is. We don't have a lot of that in Europe. And we don't have a lot of that in Europe because people like spreading bets. It's, it's more of a cultural thing. And what operators here uh, seem to be suggesting is like we actually need more specifically focused funds, which actually makes sense, right? Uh, it makes more sense for us who are in the industry, right, and understand investment, but importantly, want to be able to to be able to pick fund managers who actually are savvy enough to understand the industry, but also have a bucket of uh, of gambling stocks that they can actually invest in, and. And indirectly, right from this PR, from the from this from this narrative, you do see, right, a subliminal push to say, actually, let us create more funds that specifically support gambling, specifically on gambling, because at the end of the day, then you will know exactly what uh, the returns are, where the industry is going, and importantly, you can trade high. Obviously, that's downsides to this. If for whatever reason all the industry is affected, your fund goes down. But that's the same for many other funds in many other industries. If if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. And and uh, last question on Kindle here before we uh, we move on to uh, to Cambia Betson. Uh, 
you know, we are we are from the industry, uh, obviously, Julian. We we talk to industry people all the time, and we hear the buzz. Yeah. Uh, what uh, what are people talking about in in regards to Kinder? Like, how is Kinder seen from an industry perspective? Uh, how uh, how are they respected? What what do people think about Kinder uh, from within <laughs> the industry? I think I think Kindred enjoys right this uh, this growth reputation right now right uh, these these stances right they almost want to out Evo Evo if, if you had to use the same analogy right they're they're trying to get to a stage where these acquisitions the buybacks the the good PR messages Kindred are enjoying this 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 brand reputation it comes at a cost to spend right they are spending more to do that but uh, I guess that's a very good strategy because a it gets us talking you and I talking about this right as <laughs> as many of our yeah. peers in the industry are as well but importantly there's a long play here to ensure that the brand actually gets permeated through so as you can see right everyone's saying things about camp uh, about kindred and that's a good thing right in investment terms yeah, yeah absolutely and, and uh, to add to this as well i think uh, kindred is absolutely seen as in very high regard from an operator level uh, here in malta and uh, on an industry level uh, in general but what um what the what the what the key players are saying is that the the leadership team in Kindred, for example, is very very strong, very yes. highly respected. They have really really good people internally, um, not only in the uh, in the leadership team but also on the on the managerial level. They have been very yeah. good at acquiring the talent from other uh, operators uh, uh, here in Malta to uh, in order to uh, to secure that strong team that they that they want to have and and. Um, I think uh, uh, as well in general, uh, Kindred is seen as one of those companies that you want to work for. Let's say they 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 they, they are good at attracting uh, that talent, yeah. and and they have a very strong voice in the industry. People are very curious to hear about what uh, Kindred have to say. They are kind of seen as an innovator, like you are saying, Julian. Here, this uh, evolution is on that uh, status within the industry. Everyone, when when evolution speaks, everyone listens. And I would say as well that Kindred is finding that. Uh, that uh, pace as well, where uh, especially in regards to the focus on RG on responsible gambling, um, uh, I, I think uh, that uh, the industry is really taking notice of Kindred in that regard and, and uh, listening to what they have to say. They they are you know in the arena fighting the lion, let's say, whereas uh, the spectators are judging them. Uh, uh, loudly, let's say, but uh, they are really taking a very bold move in 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 many yes. regards here. U.S. And making the right gambling, yes, yeah, acquiring um, acquiring uh, the um, uh, relaxed gaming and so on and so forth. So uh, they are definitely being aggressive uh, in, in 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 a time where the industry is changing in in, yes. in that regard. So they seem to be making uh, a lot of plays for the for the future. So. Yeah, very interesting. I, I would say in general, I, I'm very, I'm very curious, and that, that's why I kind of have my holding in, in Kindred as well. Is I feel that they are uh, that that they are uh, a company of the future. So uh, yeah, I, exciting. To I, see. I, I I agree. I think I think as a general statement, right? And this is this is subjective rather than objective, right? But if you are if you are an investor, right, in the gambling industry, right, where would you else put your money if you actually are believing in? A consolidated better future for the gambling industry right it would be a stock like kindred if that makes sense yeah yeah absolutely let's jump over to um uh, let's jump over to betson uh, here uh, our dear friends uh, so many many moons ago i moved to malta and i actually worked for betson uh, for two years for two years um just at a time where uh, betson had acquired uh, betsafe and uh, they acquired nordic uh, bet at that time as well uh, growing very rapidly, but it was also a lot of issues internally. I remember at that time, 
uh, that they that they sorted out um, as time went on. Uh, they also released a quarterly report here yesterday, uh, publishing as well exponential growth, which uh, can again be attributed to the fact that uh, there was uh, a very good sports betting quarter this quarter, as opposed to last year when there was no sports betting, uh, yes. uh, of, of course. But uh, Betson being kind of this like conservative machine almost that are constantly increasing their revenue slowly but sh uh, surely so to say um not taking any big and bold moves but they are really focused on the on the on the larger price uh, uh, here in general but what would you say about Betson's uh, quarterly report they were flat on the day of the reports the the um the share price but it has dropped today um yes what, what what's your analysis of Betson here so if, if we have to compare Betson with Kindred, right, you would, you would argue that Betson is moving at a slightly slower pace than, than Kindred. And, and, and there's a reason for this, right? Betson is, uh, is, is a bigger machine, right? It has been uh, established. It's gone through its acquisition spree a number of years ago, as, as you outlined. And uh, I think Betson is more cautious to its investors and especially the external perception that it is a ship, a big ship, moving in the right direction so it's effectively as long as you can show tangible gradual but small stable uh, in increments from one quarter to the next then you're effectively a stable stock that actually encourages long-term value investors right and you can see this you can see this from from the numbers right so the marketing spend for instance is lower than than that of kindred right that's always uh, an indicator so by a lot right but two three percentage points make all the difference right as to whether you're actually aggressively going for this free yeah. or you're effectively defending your position right um revenues pretty much the same right obviously other than the markets that were shut down um year on year but importantly there seems to be this general trend that there is a gradual uh, push in the right direction. The, the interesting one, right, and this is this is possibly where where Betson probably are intending to pivot is that the rest of world revenues, right, rest of world revenues are more than doubled, right, particularly in Latin America, and it kind of yeah, shows you where Betson. Yeah, it kind of shows where they want to go, right? And look, let's be clear, Latin America seems to be one of the final fronts, right? It seems to be very at a territory du jour, but it's, uh, it does bear very similar logistics challenge-wise to the US, right? It's a very big territory. You can't actually just come in with one strategy for a whole continent. And importantly, you need to actually uh, address the challenges, both regulatory and acquisition, right? For its specific yeah. territory as they become more licensed. So I see, I see, I see bets on telling, telling the investors, right? Hey, we're stable. We're moving in the right direction. Trust us. But then actually saying, look, we are looking to uh, experiment to importantly to, to drive new value creation in a new emerging territory, such as Latin America, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And this has been the, um, this has been the major strategic shift for a lot of the Scandinavian operators in the last couple of years, uh, particularly since uh, the Swedish uh, regulation was enacted. Uh, UK yes. is getting more difficult to operate in. And uh, this has kind of forced the operators to geographically diversify the revenue streams, uh, right? And, and previously, we, we saw that a lion's share of the revenue coming from the Scandinavian operators were from Scandinavia and the key markets in Europe. Uh, however, that is not the viable business model anymore because uh, one regulatory move, as we've seen in Germany, for example, which uh, which uh, seemingly uh, imposed this um, uh, draconian measures on on the, the uh, gaming industry, uh, yes. can 
can disrupt an entire organization if your revenue streams are not diversified. So it seemed like the industry went through, walked through the fire, let's say, in 2019 particularly, um, and have come out of that in a much stronger position. Because now the, uh, the organizations have now kind of adapted to this new reality that uh, they have to understand the, 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 the local markets to the point where they can um, diversify into, uh, it, like in Betson's case, into, uh, into Latin America. They also have to take decisions, where are they going to uh, diversify the revenue streams? It's difficult to attack all the markets at the same time. And looking at you know, Latin America, for example, on, on the one hand, it's, uh, it's clearly an emerging market, um, but uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the market is not as big as, for example, the, uh, what is predicted that the US market will be, which is a, a much higher price, so to say. But on the other hand, the regulatory obstacles and the investment to go into the US is massive. And there is no, there's no clear road into profitability that is no. very straightforward it's a it's a gamble now we are in the gambling industry yes so perhaps you could make the argument that uh, we should not be afraid of a little bit of a gamble but, um, but this is but more Betson of a gamble doing... than 10 years ago <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> but uh, what uh, what betson is seemingly doing here is that they are looking at the us and they are saying that we are not financially capable of entering the us uh, uh, from a B2C perspective in full force. Now, they have announced that they will be entering one state, which is Colorado. And in the yes. quarter report, they mentioned that the launch of the state is a bit, a little bit delayed. They, they mentioned that they expect to go live in, in, in Q1 of, of, uh, of 2022. Uh, however, what uh, Betson have communicated that they will do in the US is to go in on the B2B side, right? So. Betson, they also have a proprietary sports book that they are trying to license to other operators in the US. And the B2B route is a lot more cost efficient, right? There's yes. not this massive marketing spend that you have to do to acquire players and then to maintain the players uh, in this market that is, uh, uh, that is uh, difficult to predict. Uh, however, on yes. the B2B side, all you need to do is uh, find the customers and basically offer them the best product. Uh, and that, that's where the that's where Betson the best are, are going. So, so, yeah, for the best price, and and so that's where they that's where Betson is taking a much more conservative stance to the US than yeah. say Kindred, for example, which are going in all guns blazing, uh, yes. and and hoping that um, the market turns out the way the the predictions are. Is that a fair I statement? Think, I think I think that's right. So so again, a lot a lot of points to unpick here. The first one is. As we all know, Western European revenues are decreasing across the board, right? I mean, uh, Betson were very brave, right, to 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 call out the actual decrease, right? It's twenty seven percent down, which is incredible, right? And thirty percent from casino, so it kind of shows you where the new territories needs to lie, right? But then then the diversification needs to happen, right, cautiously, because as we know, acquisition now is not the same as acquisition ten years ago, right? There's legislative, there's regulatory, there's much more competition, aggressive spending. So your cost of acquisition, even in what we call low or uh, relatively cheap territories, are actually quite expensive when you compare them with uh, even five years ago. 
and that's and that's Betson's strategy here. They are they are cautious. They are they are cautiously reporting that there are territories that they are encouraging, like the whole rest of the world, particularly Latin America, but even Latin America as well. Right, it's quite a challenge, uh, because it's a massive massive landmass uh, separated by incredible amount diverse amounts of of regulatory bottles, so uh, culturally uh, acquisitive. Uh, nuances yeah. but I think if you then look at the b2b aspect right the b2b aspect and I think GIG found this right de de developing a, G uh, a very good b2b relationship right with your suppliers is, is is actually a multifaceted challenge right you need to ensure you have the right price point you have the right product there's a really good progression on the roadmap around supporting right your your customers and because you're also a b2b2c product right you need to ensure that the expectations at the end customers have i.e the players well so much as that of the of the the, the uh, your, your target paying customers your operators so and in so doing fine you save on marketing spend right because the, the the players aren't yours but in so doing then you need to serve two verticals so the b2b route right as beton is doing cautiously and i agree that this is the right strategy in the us needs to be a more long thought out more uh, inquisitive as opposed to acquisitive approach just to ensure that a good b2b relationship is developed especially in a let's call it a long-term lucrative market such as the us if that makes sense absolutely so you know to 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 summarize i think um that's sort of looking at the diversification from more conservative uh, approach of you know uh, they 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 are they are looking at the Latin America as the primary um, uh, primary diversification. They they obviously had this major sponsorship in in Copa America, which uh, according to the quarterly report bear bore well fruits. It, it bore fruits. Yes. Um, uh, and at the same time, they are being more cautious in the in the US, uh, so to say. So it'll be interesting to see uh, again in the coming quarters how the. Um, Development uh, in the in Latin America will look like, and potentially this uh, more cautious approach to diversification uh, it doesn't necessarily bring this like massive uh, exponential growth in the near term, but it could again be this uh, machine which just yes. con constantly increases the revenue quarter by quarter, even though uh, it's not necessarily uh, exponentially. So yes, so very interesting to follow uh, Betson as they as they continue. Uh, their march. I agree. Onto uh, onto onto the rest of the world. Let's jump over to Cambi. Yeah, and and you know, embarrassingly, I must say, uh, Julian, that um, we have uh, talked way too little on this podcast in general through through the year uh, about Cambi. It's uh, yeah. another Swedish company uh, releasing their quarterly report here this morning. Um, bit of a disappointment. Uh, looking at the share price again, down significantly today. 11 um, percent as, as 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 of as of 11%. now. Wow! Yeah, that's a that's a that's a big uh, uh, big loss, obviously. And again, you know, looking at Cambys, very interesting. You know, they are going in with their with their sports book. Uh, again, majority lion share of the revenue is coming from the US. Um, yes. US very difficult to predict what's going to happen. Obviously, uh, their largest customer. I, I think Julian, you mentioned that. 30% or so of their revenue derives from DraftKings currently? Again, again, it's just an estimate. We don't necessarily have uh, updated stats, uh -huh. but I would assume that we are in uh, in that ballpark. Uh, 
can't yeah. be more than than 50%, but it, it can't be as small as 10, 20%. So it's safe to assume we are talking somewhere in the region of maybe 30% revenue. Obviously, yeah. that has to continue decreasing now for, for various yeah. reasons, but I think the revenue diversification needs to needs to pivot. The, the good news, right? And there, again, this is one of those things where that's actually a good news, a lot of good news about Canby. Um, revenues are up 200%, yeah, year on year, right? But well, when you compare them with uh, obviously quarter two of 2020, there wasn't much going on. But the important thing yeah, is that the, actually the, now the, the counter argument, yeah, the counter argument to that is obviously sports were significantly uh, yes. it's difficult to compare quarters like year on year, exactly. right? Sadly, yeah. sadly, that is the case, right? But they have also managed to turn a profit, and I think the the profit actual aspect is quite important. That uh, despite right the the decoupling from DraftKings, despite the the fact that uh, they aren't necessarily one of the strongest players in the US, they are actually in profit mode. So it's important that there's going to be a. Uh, uh, a, a significant amount of optimization you would hope in the future as can be continued this this aggressive acquisition uh, spend particularly yeah. on uh, on their operators and i think i think that's the biggest sentiment which is coming through here and which uh, sadly is not reflected in the in the share price right because i think operators are, are i think investors are more concerned around the longer term benefits post DraftKings, and they're trying to factor in where that sentiment bears them in the longer term if that makes sense right Right, right, right. And, you know, looking at the US and looking at uh, Kambi's product here, again, we, we talk about this uh, trend that is emerging in an in industry where key players want to control um, uh, uh, their uh, revenue stream. They want to control their content uh, and they want to control their supply chain, right? So a um, clear example of this is uh, DraftKings, of course, which have uh, acquired uh, SP Tech or merging with yes. SP Tech, rather. And... That is uh, then basically cutting the cord to Cambi. Now, um, this, uh, the, the other tier ones are, are clearly approaching uh, the, the strategies with, uh, with, the, with, the same, with the same strategy. And um, I know that Aspire Global, another listed company on the Swedish stock exchange, um, which are pushing their B2B services, yes. they have also go, uh, talked publicly. Their CEO, Chassi Maiman, great guy, by the way, uh, yes, he also yes. talked publicly about their strategy in the US will be to offer their services, sportsbook included, yes. by the way, so competitors can be, um, to not the tier ones, because they believe that the tier ones will not be interested in uh, in uh, ex external uh, service providers. They yes. want to offer their, their products to the tier twos. Now, the question is, in such an expensive market, to uh, to enter with uh, with such an uh, um, expensive entry to market like the US is, how big is the addressable tier two market going to be for Cambi if uh, they are not going to be able to attract the tier one uh, operators? We're making an assumption here. You know, we could be wrong. They they it could be the case that they do come on board, uh, but uh, if not, then how 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 much are they? How can they how can they cover the gap yes. that will be left by DraftKings in the US? So, so it's important. It's important to unpick two things here because actually, there's there's a developing story here, right? Particularly around the the tier one uh, operators. They want to go full stack. They want to have their their brand. They want to own the brand. They want to own the tech. They want to own the full the full ecosystem because uh, the synergies of uh, of revenue, but especially especially operational profit, can only be uh, be fully controlled when you have an ecosystem that you can fully manage. Especially if you are a publicly traded company. 
and and this is never more so than the US. The US loves loves tech, but it loves uh, full uh, full ecosystems, right? Because it can bet long on them. It's not just gambling; they they enjoy uh, investing in, in in fully managed ecosystems. So this actually places a challenge, right? On uh, on on what we call the middle tier, right, of uh, of uh, of platform solutions, right, that previously enjoyed uh, tier one revenues, because this this becomes a challenge. So what do you do, right? Do you continue offering uh, to the to the middle tiers, or do you look for an acquisition, right? And some like SB Tech have looked for an acquisition, which is which is why the, the whole right. DraftKings uh, the merge makes sense. For Cambi Cambi's can be trying to diversify its revenue, right? And this can be evidence actually from Latin America, right? So they announced the whole Peru uh, rollout, which is which actually signifies that they also want to start looking in territories uh, typically outside of their comfort zone, which is a good thing. It effectively will help uh, diversification of revenue in the medium term. The short term, however, is like if you are fully vested already with the tier one operators and the tier one operators have already signaled their intent to actually buy or go. How can you aggressively start to ramp up your middle tier acquisition at a time when middle tier network and middle tier markets are, in, are a little bit vague, a little bit opaque? And this goes back to your question as to how big is the middle market? I'm not sure we know that right now. There's, there's a good argument to say the middle market is actually quite crowded. And it may very well be the case that the middle market may, it may start to eat itself up or either go bust or be acquired by some of the bigger plays, right? This yeah. is not a, a short. This is not a short-term trend, right? This is a 12, 24, even 36-month uh, trend where gradually we start to see the middle tier being either converged or acquired. But it does yeah. it does present challenges, right? For for the likes of uh, of Cambi, right? Who are in an industry where they need to aggressively target this tier two, or at least go to big tier one operators, but outside of traditional markets such as the US. So I, just just reading through these reports, and again, this is this is just inferring from from the data. I I strongly suspect that Cambi is actually looking to do both. It's looking to divert its revenues and actually look at good, uh, lucrative markets that are still in growth phase, such as Latin America. But then also making sure that it can uh, offer uh, reliable B two B services to the likes of good tier two operators who are still uh, independent for now in uh, in actively traded markets. If that makes sense. Absolutely, and I mean the um, you know we talk about here as well that the the, the financially very strong tier one operators yes. uh, are uh, are acquiring themselves um, uh, sportsbooks uh, proprietary sportsbooks. I mean that that also begs the question if if Cambi is ripe to be acquired. I mean there's been speculations within the industry if uh, the likes of even Evolution would uh, acquire Cambi. Now I personally don't see that happening. I don't I don't think um, Evolution is looking to uh, to to uh, widen their their services and and dilute their expertise into a sportsbook. I find that very unlikely, at least in the next couple of years. But uh, from an operator point of view, uh, that could uh, absolutely be. Uh, be the case where uh, some of the major, especially US-facing uh, uh, operators, would want to acquire uh, a sportsbook such as uh, Cambi, just like DraftKings uh, acquired uh, SB uh, Tech. I think that scenario is more likely. I think it's more likely that Cambi goes down an acquisition route by an operator than by a platform provider. And uh, yeah. and a, a because the synergies are immediately apparent, right? And, and especially if the buyer is publicly traded, shareholders will immediately see that. They immediately see the revenue synergies. They immediately see how this can actually pan over the next few years. Yeah. Plus, yeah. I can't see I can't see Evo in particular acquiring.
sharing something like can be anyway, right? So I think it was going to go down more the acquisitive, acquisitive route of the strategic uh, gap in the ecosystem plays, right? To ensure that they can continue now targeting new markets, uh, which currently their, their top line revenues don't address. And I strongly suspect that they're going to do that, right? The BTG acquisition is a classic case in point, right? Buy it, buy it wisely, buy it at a, at a very efficiently profit margin and uh, business, and then use that effectively to make a very good splash around where uh, where, where you intend to go, which, which is uh, obviously a very good play by Evo. <laughs> we love so lo- last question for you here, uh, Dylan, today before we uh, we continue on our on our Friday morning. Um, the uh, seemingly, you know, the agam industry uh, has had a fantastic year. I mean, uh, the, yeah. the industry is uh, recession-proof. It's uh, pandemic-proof. It's uh, very resilient to towards uh, these re- disruptive events in the world, which is what investors are very happy about. Uh, however, in the last couple of months, this growth has seemingly stopped. Right? In, uh, we've yeah. seen that in, in in most of the listed organizations here, especially the ones that are listed in Sweden. Uh, is the future bright for the agam industry? It is on a few levels, As, and actually, the, these these three businesses we've talked about today actually outline that. Even if shares are down today, right? It actually showed that the future is bright. So there's diversification of revenues because of territories, right? There's acquisition spend uh, to actually increase brand value in new areas such as the US and in Latin America to promote that value. But I think, and this this is where Kindred comes in, right? There seems to be this this push this pivot right towards branding towards brand equity look we are we are aware of harmful gambling we are aware that portion of our revenues do come from there and we're taking an active move ourselves to do that but importantly we're calling on our colleagues in the industry to support it this won't come from regulators this will need to come from the operators and if this is done properly this will be the very first time one of the first times operators make a push with a consortium towards something that is going to be of benefit not just to the operators themselves, but to the industry as a whole. And that will two things will come out of that. One, there will be this, uh, this diversion of stigma uh, that gambling is a bad stock. If done properly, gambling can be as good as forex trading, right? Nobody talks about forex trading being bad, right? There just tends to be this stigma because of this percentage of revenues coming through. And kudos to the kindreds of this world for taking a stance to say, this is the problem, this is how we're tackling it, we're even calling it out in our, in our earnings reports. But I think more importantly, and this is more from a fund management level, there needs to be a pressure, right? And it's gradually happening where we will start to see more funds actively just specifically offering gambling-specific stocks. And this will help actually drive not just the awareness, but also the diversification of portfolios. It's very important for you to actually have uh, money in different funds. Then why not have a specific fund that just does gambling? So then you know exactly what to do. And so, so for long-term investors who are in the games, it's going to go. So, so to answer the question, I th- yes, I think the, the future is very bright. Looking by these numbers, I think we've all come out of the COVID situation really well, showing diversification of revenues. And it's important now we capitalize on this momentum, not just to get more eyeballs onto product, but also more awareness to diversify these products onto something fund management can pick up. Brilliant, brilliant. Long live the Agame industry, Jula. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> it's been great talking to you, like always, my friend. Likewise, Pierre. Have, enjoy uh, your Friday. Uh, yeah, thank you. I wish you a good day as well, Dylan. And um, 
Uh, we, will, we will talk to you again for sure. Thanks for giving all the insights and, and everything. Hope it's been of value to, to people that have listened today. Uh, you know, keep an eye out, out at the Agumi Next. We'll, we'll keep reporting, keep uh, bringing some insights to the investors. And, uh, uh, and uh, yeah, wish you, uh, wish you a great uh, Friday, a great weekend, Julian. Take care of yourself, okay? Likewise. Bye-bye. Brilliant.